I'm Nikki Kristoff, and welcome to Teched Up. Today is our fifth Crypto 101 episode, and we attempt to answer the question, why? Why should you care about Bitcoin? Why does anybody care about it? And why is this podcast spending so much time trying to figure out how it works? At the end of the episode, we also talk briefly about DAOs. Remember that group of people who tried to buy a copy of the Constitution? That was a DAO. Thanks so much for listening as we kick off season two of Teched Up. Today, our guest is Dina Burke. She's a mom. She's a marketer. She's all in on crypto. We know each other a little bit through working with a company that's in the crypto payments space. Welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. One of the things about you that I really admire is every time we talk, I learn about a new side hustle that you have. (laughs) And a lot of those are in the crypto space. You've started an app to gift crypto. You have a community for the Crypto Curious, which we'll talk about at the end of the show. But basically, I just want to hear how you feel about this space and why it's important and why you're so excited about it. So you are down the rabbit hole. And my first question for you is, when and how did you get crypto pilled? (laughs) Okay, so the year is 2017. If you aren't familiar with what was happening then, it was like crazy bull market. The price prices of everything were going insane. And I admittedly got drawn in to the space from the price action. And I basically just started gambling. (laughs) I was like buying all these altcoins. I was watching all these altcoins go up and down. And there was just like so much money and so much money moving around. And I was like, man, I want a piece of this. And so I started like doing some very bad, like sort of pseudo day trading on altcoins. And I wasn't very good at it and I lost money, but like, I was just like sort of obsessed for a minute. And that was like my, my personal way in. And then I... Wait, can I ask you a quick clarifying question? What is an altcoin? Oh, I love that question. Okay, so an altcoin is what people refer to. So like there's thousands of cryptocurrencies at this point. And at the time, altcoins were really anything that wasn't Bitcoin. Okay. Um, Now that term is used like a little bit less because there's so many other like really prominent cryptocurrencies that are being traded and used and have utility. But at the time, an altcoin was anything that wasn't Bitcoin, basically. Okay. And you were thinking of it like gambling. So I mean, I wasn't thinking about it like gambling, but like that's been effectively what I was doing. I yeah. sometimes think of this space still like mega bucks. Like, mm-hmm. you know, my mom would drop me off. You know, we'd be at the gas station. She's like, go get mm-hmm. 10 bucks of <laughs> tickets. And I'd come back and say, mom, this the lottery is a tax on people who are bad at math. And she'd yeah. say, you have a 0% chance of winning if you don't play. <laughs> I love that. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> Thanks. But it's not wrong. And so I'm still kind wrong. of maybe in that space. But tell me more about kind of the mission around this and what beyond the day trading where your next step was. As I was sort of doing more research and sort of diligence on some of the projects that I was looking at investing in, I just really fell in love with, at the time, Bitcoin and the technology and what I felt like a new money that was completely outside the establishment could mean for, you know, redistribution of wealth and creating new wealth for people and financial access and all these things that like really speak to me emotionally. This is a pretty powerful thing that's been created that, you know, if wielded in the right direction could have some really profound effects on on humanity, not to overstate things, but like I truly, I truly believe that. So that was sort of the the entry point for me. 
And let's talk a little bit about Bitcoin. So you mentioned it that there was not that long ago, anything that wasn't Bitcoin was considered an altcoin. Mm -hmm. I think some people, people might have heard the name Satoshi, but they don't know, like, what's the origin story of Bitcoin specifically, which is the OG cryptocurrency? Yeah, I love this. This is actually one of my favorite things about bringing new people into crypto because this story is just so juicy. So the year is like 2008, I believe the a person or persons working under a pseudonym called Satoshi Nakamoto, they published this white paper that was called Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. And they posted it to like a listserv of cryptographers. Like it was basically like an email list of a bunch of like cryptographers cryptographer nerds that you know no one cared about it first at all like everyone was like okay whatever like it was just like very niche corner of the internet and just a very niche community they spent some time building the network and writing the code and then in 2009 the the network was launched again to no fanfare whatsoever and no one cared except for like a handful of cryptographers in this in this mailing list eventually like people started to pay attention but satoshi always remained a mystery. They never revealed who they were. They worked on the project, like sort of, you know, publicly in that, like they were posting a message boards and they were sort of like pushing through updates to the code under the pseudonym for a couple years. And then as it sort of started to take off, they receded from view and then disappeared completely. And I think one of the most fascinating parts of this is that Decision. Well, I mean, there's a lot, just so much speculation about who this person is and why they receded from view. They wanted to create a truly decentralized network and a truly decentralized form of value and money and sort of knew they needed to make the sacrifice to take themselves out of the picture completely in order for it to not have like a founder or CEO or someone who's tweeting dumb things that can affect the price up and down. It was launched in 2009, 2008, 2009. Like that was a moment in time where we all collectively watched so much greed and power on display with the 2008 financial crisis. And this felt like sort of a radical act that was in direct response, at least for me, like this is what I'm like reading the tea leaves, like felt like a, a response to that. I think that you're right. The timing seems purposeful. Yeah. And when you say the sacrifice of leaving and receding, the sacrifice is zillions of dollars. I mean, the amount of money, it's mind-blowing. And, and one of the things that we know, okay, so the blockchain is this transparent, immutable data set, right, of transactions. And so we can see everything and we know what's called the Genesis block. That's the first first transaction that was ever made on the Bitcoin network. And at first it was only Satoshi who was making, who was basically mining Bitcoin, who was making, who was enabling these transactions from, from it for a couple of years. And so within that, they, you know, earned as a, as this from at many points, like sole miner of the network, they earned many, many Bitcoin in that, in that moment. And we also know that none of that Bitcoin has ever been moved. So as far as we know, moved or spent. So as far as we know, they've not profited at all. I mean, maybe they have another wallet set up, maybe there's other things, but that original Bitcoin that was mined to get the network off the ground has never been spent, has never which, been moved. Which indicates that it's ideological. 
Yes. Right. That this is an to ideological me, yeah. act. Exactly. And I just want to back up a smidge and tell me if I'm mm-hmm. explaining these terms correctly. So mining is essentially p- people are performing mathematical, complicated mathematical equations. And on the Bitcoin blockchain, they earn Bitcoin for those efforts. That, that's an appropriate way to be thinking about it. I would think about it more like uh computers or servers doing the work and not not humans, but yeah. <laughs> okay, great point. Yes. Actually, excellent point, because I am literally picturing it like hidden figures, but with with like bros in Japan doing like math. Okay, excellent 100%. point. The, com- the computers yeah. are doing the equations, not, not the people. But I think people, when they hear mining or they hear these terms, and this is something I want to talk about with you, it's so intimidating. Like the jargon mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The accessibility of this space is is it's hard. It's steep. There's a barrier to entry that's not financial. The mm-hmm. barrier is knowledge and kind mm-hmm. of understanding it. And I think there's a major intimidation factor. You said something to me a couple months ago. You said we're watching enormous transfer of wealth and power. And if people don't understand it and get into it and get curious about it, they could miss out. I don't want to quote you to yourself. Totally. You I mean, that this is, that's right at the heart of everything we do all day. I mean, there's so much money being made and created right now. And beyond that, there are so many decisions and products and companies that are being created right now that is are going to be creating the future that we're all living in, in seconds, right? And there's so much value in that. And it's happening right before our eyes, like it's, it's occurring. And like, that's my number one, like, reason for being is to get people seeing the opportunity for themselves in all of this and jumping in. Because if we don't do anything, and if we just sort of let it go the way it's going right now, you know, it, it, we're just going to be sort of copying and pasting the same hierarchies of wealth and power as exist with the legacy financial systems onto crypto. And to me, that would be just a profound waste. We all need to help each other sort of get in, um, especially folks who don't come from a finance background or don't come from a technical background. I mean, those are the people that I'm interested in reaching. I mean, I feel like are the people that could benefit from this revolution in money the most. And I think this is such a good point because my observation, you know, I'm sitting in Washington, D.C., and I'm seeing a lot of billionaires, tech elite and venture capitalists mm-hmm. coming to mm-hmm. Washington. And uh, and sometimes their storytelling around Bitcoin and about around crypto uses these examples that to me seem not impossible, but truly hypothetical and far-fetched, which is, you know, helping the unbanked, mm-hmm. which I get as an idea, as a concept, mm-hmm. but how mm-hmm. are the unbanked going to have an unlimited data plan on a smartphone? Because mm-hmm. I tried mm-hmm. to buy an NFT yesterday. And when I tell you... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm downloading my MetaMask wallet. I'm memorizing, you know, it was tough. I haven't even gotten there. I got about a third of the way through and I gave up and I was like, I'll regroup and come back to this. But I needed <laughs> time and data and yeah, I needed a credit. Well, I needed a specific credit card because my yep. two of my cards were declined for even buying ETH. You have to, tra- it's complicated. And so when you yeah. hear people telling the story of like, it's billionaires talking about the unbanked, failing financial systems. It doesn't feel real to me. And I think there are real examples, and maybe we can talk about this, where people, regular people interacting with a prejudiced and at times maybe even predatory financial system can avoid fees if they can get away from intermediaries, just regular people using this technology. Yeah. 
So first of all, I'm dying to see what NFT you're buying, and you definitely gotta get oh. show me. <laughs> Um, you're gonna see it I'm gonna post it on my Twitter it's ridiculous okay well I there I have bought some truly dumb nfts so I mean we'll just we'll have to to share in each other's sort of decision making there yeah um, (laughs) mine's so so dumb but I'm gonna get it I'm gonna figure out how to buy that thing nice okay so there's a lot there in what you said and I sort of want to unpack a few different a few different parts of it first of all I think that crypto specifically money more generally, but definitely crypto is just sort of like a mirror to what you care about in the world. Like you look for things that, and you sort of, you can make this mean whatever you want because it's new. It's all emerging right now and it's all sort of being created right now and money's so emotional. And like, so there's a lot of, and people are like finding their identity in it. So the people who are like Bitcoin maximalists, like that's like, you know, there's like the libertarian movement who like see this as their like way to sort of subvert the government. And like, so everyone sees what they want to see in crypto. And I, and I totally respect your note around like that, that, you know, the, the sort of emerging market or banking the unbanked, like doesn't speak to you personally. You don't, you can't comprehend it. Or maybe you just don't feel like the infrastructure is ready for it yet. By the way, that's another piece entirely. The infrastructure sucks. Like it sucks. And I think there's a lot of good work being done today. So I'm going to plug Celo. They're a layer one blockchain that's building intentionally for mobile phones, which like a, an intentional move to, to reach emerging markets and to reach developing countries where people are going to be interacting with crypto on their phone. It's not just you. The infrastructure sucks. That's a big part of the problem. But I will say that's a lot of good work being done today to fix that in the future. One thing I do want to say, I know that you mentioned that you haven't seen very much evidence for this help truly helping the unbanked. One example, one story I want to show you, I want to tell you is something that like really moved me was this project called by set up by a woman named Roy Maboob. It was in Afghanistan. She it was a few years ago. She was hiring Afghani women to work, many for the first time. And she was employing these women and she needed to pay them. And she couldn't because these women, like culturally, it's just not the done thing for women to have their own bank accounts so she couldn't like actually like process their payments and she sort of fell into bitcoin as a solution to this like very specific problem she's like oh okay this could be a way for me to pay these people it wasn't like this big political thing for her it was like oh i can we they don't need a bank account i can set them up and pay them through bitcoin so she set them all up with bitcoin wallets and she started paying them and like that's a pretty radical act for the first for the first time like these women like not only were working, but like owned their own money and the autonomy in that and the power in that like was just really moving to think about. And we also know now that some of those women in the past couple of months, that's, you know, there's clearly been a lot of upheaval in that country. And, and some of those women have used that money, traded in that Bitcoin, resettle their families and and to, to get to safety. So that's the type of thing where I'm like, man, okay, I could see that's powerful. I am so glad you pushed back on me because first of all, on my business cards, it just says devil's advocate. Uh, that's, that's what my main profession is, but you're, you're absolutely right. And one of the, one of the best use cases I think for Bitcoin or crypto right now, the most compelling is remittances, right? So in the United States, there are a lot of diaspora communities, people sending money back to their home countries. And the infrastructure in the traditional financial system sucks for that. It's super complicated. It's 
punitive fees, frankly, to send the money. And so yeah. if you can find a way to reduce the cost of sending money you've already earned, you've already paid taxes on, and you just want to send a family globally, that alone, the remittances issue, I think is a really good use case. And then I think in that you're so right also that we mirror ourselves. I hope none of our listeners have had to bail a relative out of jail, but I have. Mm. And if you've had to, mm. like bail bondsmen are not taking credit cards. They only mm -hmm. take Western Union. And the fee for a Western Union wire transfer is $50. If you don't have $100 in your bank account, which I never did in college, like I was always right at the brink, you're paying fees if you go under that amount, if you overdraft. And we know that most Americans don't have 400 bucks for an emergency. So you're paying all of these fees just to exist in, even if you have a bank account, even if you have the means to send money to other people, you're you're paying intermediaries. And I think one of the best arguments for this is removing that layer. So it's direct. And I think the people that can help the most right now are potentially people who are like in the system, but it's not just about building wealth or holding wealth, but in fact, getting out from under the existing power structures. Totally. I mean, I think I saw a stat somewhere that was like $8 billion paid in overdraft fees last year. And, you know, that's just like, that's the people who can, by definition, afford it the, the, the least, unfairly, in my opinion, shouldering that burden. So those are the types of things that get me real riled up. There's some disruption that's long overdue. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's some of the excitement around this, I think, for me personally. But again, yeah. you're right. Everybody comes to this with their own perspective. So whether you're an artist, whether you're thinking about communities overseas, whether you're thinking about populations that haven't been able to access money or still can't have traditional accounts. I think these are all things we should explore because it is exciting and it's an interesting part of the tech sector right now. Yeah. I, one thing that um, if you and your listeners don't already know, El Salvador has recently, I think in the past six months, um, made Bitcoin legal tender. And in doing that, they launched this app called Chivo and they gave everyone in the country $30 worth of, of Bitcoin. There was a lot of problems. It's, this is like a very controversial program and not everyone is, is down with what's happening in El Salvador. But I don't know, to me, there's something really powerful in overnight, like millions of people who have been systemically left out of this global financial infrastructure, which makes all the rich people richer, like overnight them having access to something to me feels really powerful. And, you know, clearly there's a there's a big remittances angle in El Salvador as well. I actually have family in El Salvador and there's a lot of there's a lot of education that's still needed around what it is and how it's used. But it still, to me, feels like a step in the right direction. Right now, El Salvador is reliant on the U.S. dollar. And exactly. but that, you know, I am one of these people who's skeptical on the El Salvador experiment because I feel yeah. like, OK, so you're you're in a, a really quite poor country. And now if you buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin, that could be the most expensive cup of coffee ever because there's holding it versus spending it, which is a whole other kettle of a whole fish. Other, whole, whole other, other kettle, of kettle of fish. Whole other kettle of fish. And I, uh, I, you know, if I were designing that program, would have done it much differently and probably yeah. would have chosen a different currency and a different network entirely. But I want to talk about one other thing and wrap up on this. So setting aside cryptocurrency for the moment, there's also something called DAOs. Nobody knows what that is. D-A-O. You're excited about this. You understand what they are. Can you tell me more? Because I think this is maybe the next chapter in this decentralized concept and people are reading about it, but may not understand it. Yeah. DAOs are so exciting. DAOs 
are basically a way to form collectives online using technology, using cryptocurrency. It's a way to organize a lot of disparate parties around the world, around a project, around a company, or around an initiative, around an investment really quickly and really simply. So basically it's DAO stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. And yeah, it's, it's, instead of basically like the, the governance is hard-coded into the blockchain and so instead of a board of directors making decisions on behalf of a company that they you know that they know very little about or that they aren't in the day-to-day -day operations of you have a community of people who are empowered to to govern and to share in the upside of an organization that's that's organized in this way called a DAO. So we're turning Boys Club, Boys Club, my my community project is is a DAO. One thing I do want to add to this is that I've used the word DAO and talked about decentralized autonomous organization. You could be sitting there being like, I have no idea what that means. I don't understand it. And the one takeaway, like if there's like one thing that I want to leave people with, that I want to leave you with, Nikki, is like. Okay, I came across, it was 2013, 2014, I, I was reading an article about Bitcoin. I was jiving with it. I was like, cool, okay, Bitcoin, new money, digitally native, like I, I was sort of like getting it and I was really excited about it. And then I came across the term mining and I was like, pickaxe on shovels underground. <laughs> like I was like, I could not get it. I was like, what are we, what are you guys talking? Like, I just do not understand what mining is. And so I set the whole thing aside and I was like, this isn't for me. I don't understand mining. I don't understand this very specific one component of it. This is not my place. This isn't my, this isn't for me. Set it aside. And I like, I honestly can't even think about how much money I left on the table in doing that and in not like investing in that moment and, and then sort of setting it aside for, for years. I didn't pick it up again for, for another four years. So much money was lost so much money. And like my one mission is to, to make it so that that doesn't happen to other people. And I think that the lesson in that is that you don't have to fully understand everything that's happening in crypto. You don't have to understand every term or every idea that you come across in order to participate. Like you do not need to do that. You don't need to know what mining is. You don't need to know what a DAO is to jump in. And I think, I see a lot of people get stuck and, you know, if there's a term or a word or an idea that you come across, like just set it aside, like just gently set it aside. And maybe you'll revisit that concept again in a couple of days in a couple of months in a couple of years and you'll be ready for it. Or maybe you'll never understand it. Maybe you'll never truly understand what a DAO is or what mining is. And like, that's okay. It's totally yeah. okay. Nobody knows so. how email works. Exactly. Like exactly. nobody knows. And I think this is great advice. So you just said this in passing, but I want to make sure people understand. So you are the co-founder of a community for crypto curious women and non-binary mm -hmm. people, but also anyone can join mm -hmm. called Boys Club. The newsletter yes. is great. I literally introduced myself on the Discord channel this morning because I am stuck in my NFT process. Yep. And I want to ask people questions and I'm not yeah. going to Twitter for it. Like I need oh to be in gosh. a safe yeah, 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 yeah. Space, right? <laughs> yeah. To ask questions about how to do these things. So definitely, if you're interested, check it out. It's a very cool group of people. And I just want to thank you for coming on because we've had episodes on what's the blockchain, what are NFTs, what's a security. 
But we haven't really addressed the why. Mm-hmm. Like, why? Why care about this? I mean, maybe we're a little late to the why. We're <laughs> just starting with the why. <laughs> Season two is kicking off with why. Nice. <laughs> the case for Bitcoin, I feel like you've made it in a really smart way. And also the case for just jumping in, like just, yeah. you know, not as financial advice, but just don't hang back because it's intimidating because it's actually intimidating to the vast majority of people. hundred percent. Yeah. But just keep going. Yeah. I mean, I will say that like, I, so I have community calls, like one-on-ones with people who join boys club and 95% of those meetings until someone saying, I don't feel like I get what's happening. So that feeling is everyone's feeling it and it's okay and you just got to push past it and I think like one of the the things that I've sort of one of the ways in which I've grown since coming into crypto and sort of being in this in the space is like sort of just being okay with that ambiguity and like sort of just being able to yeah just just keep keep going and keep pulling on the string and keep going down the rabbit hole. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for giving people this pep talk. The whole point of this show <laughs> is to help people. You know, I ask a bunch of questions I don't know the answers to and we, you know, turn it over and talk about it. I'm so grateful for you taking the time. You can find a link to learn more about Boys Club and follow my Twitter account in the show notes. Next week, I'll be talking to Anne Hyatt. She's a leadership strategist and the former right hand to legendary tech CEOs Jeff Bezos and Eric Schmidt. We're back to our regular schedule of new episodes dropping every Thursday, so be sure to follow Teched Up wherever you get your podcasts.